Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in every area of my life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. As always, you can get my notes on the YouVersion Bible app on the live event section. Save them to your device and remember afterwards to share them with family and friends. You can also subscribe to our faith podcast so you can get all the messages for free so you can grow in your faith. We'll start today at Deuteronomy chapter 1. As you turn there, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10 11 from the New American Standard Bible. Speaking of the children of Israel in the wilderness and those in the Old Testament, it said, now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. So Paul is saying there are things we can learn from what happened to those in the Old Testament, and it will be instruction for us who live at the end of time. And so what we've been doing for the last four weeks, and even beyond that, even at the end of December in our Horizon series, We have been looking at Joshua taking the children of Israel to the promised land. We looked at things that happened right beforehand so we can understand how we can possess what God has for us. We said at the beginning of the year it's important to know God's prophetic promise for the year, but it's even more important to become the person who can receive the promises. It can be great. You can rattle off the word of the year. But if you're not in a position to receive it, it's going to do you no good. And so we've been walking through this Horizon series talking about not like the first generation that left the promised land on the horizon. They could see it, but they couldn't get it. We said we're not going to be those people. We're going to cross the horizon and possess the promised land. We talk about horizon, how being heaven on earth and how that's what God wants us to experience, that we don't, aren't supposed to experience heaven when we die. We're supposed to experience it now, and then experience continues when we get to heaven. So we've been marching through this, and if you haven't been here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast so you can catch up to where we are. So we're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, These be the words which Moses spake unto all of Israel on this side, Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazareth and Dizab. There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Cadus Barnea. And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month. Now, why is it important? It's 11 days' journey. They're already at Mount Horeb, or what we call Mount Sinai, the Mount of God, for almost two years. It was only supposed to take them 11 days to get to the promised land. But now he says on the 40th year, so 38 years later. And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, and on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. So he begins to recap what happened from when they left Mount Sinai until where they are 
38 years later. And so he's saying this, verse 4, after he had slain Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Hezbon and Og, the king of Bashan. Now, this is important. We'll get to this later. But remember, this message Moses is about to preach is after he defeated Sihon and Og. On this side of the Jordan, the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Or you've been at this mountain long enough. It's time for you to move. See, we have been here in Smyrna for 20 years. We've been here long enough. It's time for us to move. There are some places that you've been in your life long enough. It's time for you to You've been complacent in some areas long enough. It's time for you to You've been planning, going, well, maybe one day I'll do this. Maybe one day I'll get there. It's time for you to stop hanging around the mountain, which has become your safe place, your security blanket. It's time for you to move. So the children of Israel have become comfortable at the mountain of God. But God says, you've been at the mountain long enough. It's time for you to move. Just turn you and take your journey. And go to the mountain of the Amorites, and unto all the places nigh thereunto, unto the plain, and the hills, and in the vale, and the south by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. So notice, God made a promise, but he says it's up to you to possess it. God has made wonderful promises in the Word of God, but it's up to you to possess them. Because if you don't go forward and possess those promises, those promises will do you no good. And you wonder, well, why didn't faith work? No, faith always works, but you did not possess the promises. So you can't keep hanging around the place you've been hanging around. You have to take a step of faith. You have to move forward. You have to go forward. Stop looking about what happened in the past. You have to go forward. Stop saying, well, I'm not ready to go forward yet. You have to go forward. You say, you don't know what happened in my past. I know it's been a lot. It's been traumatic, but you have to go forward. You've been at that place long enough. How long will you stay in that place in the wilderness? What was the wilderness for the children of Israel? Walking in circles until they died. How many people in their life are just going around in circles day in, day out, never getting to where God wants them to be? It's time for us to move. It's time for us to go forward. And so Moses gives this speech 38 years later, recapping what God told them 38 years ago. So let's see what happened, why they couldn't go forward. So go to Numbers chapter 13. We'll start with verse 25. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. It's time for you to go forward. Moses gave this message after he defeated Og, king of Bashan. Numbers 13, verse 25. And so the 12 spies returned from searching the land after 40 days. 
And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them. And to all the congregation, show them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came into the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, say but. The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, who were the children of Anak? They were a very famous and formidable race and clan of giants. Plural, not one. A lot of people, when they think of giants in the Bible, think of Goliath. When you study the Old Testament, there were several races of giants. One of the reasons they didn't want to go to the promised land, they says, yes, the cities are strong. Yes, they're fortified. But in those fortified cities, there are some giants. Not only any giants, they are the children of Anak. They were so famous, I was studying this last night, they go back to Egyptian records, and Egypt talks about how they did not like the children of Anak, how they were scared of them. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Hey, hey, y'all, stop talking. You're messing this thing up. Sometimes you just got to stop doubt from talking because doubt will talk you out of the promises of God. And if you got friends full of doubt, this is, oh, I love you, God bless you, but I can't listen to you right now. I'm working on something. So he's still the people. And he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb is one of the 12 spies. He saw the same thing, but he had a different perspective. That's why a couple weeks ago we said you have to upgrade your vision because they all were looking at the same thing. Two said we can do it. Ten said we can't. When God has called you to do something, how many times say, I can't do this, God, because of this? I'm not the right this. I'm not the right that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't do it. You're like the ten spies. You have to upgrade your vision. But the men that went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw are men of great stature. It says, everyone in that land, they're not short, they're tall. But then he adds, and there we saw the giants. So these giants are even taller than them. The sons of Anak, which come with the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So we see ourselves as not able, and we know they see us as not able. So one of the reasons they did not possess the promised land is because they saw giants. This word giants, as you'll see, is important later, is the word Nephilim. Nephilim. They're describing these giants. They were famous. They were a formidable clan. They saw giants on the horizon. So today's message is called Giants on the Horizon. They felt they were unable to possess the promises of God because they're giants. Now, there are giants that will stand between you and the promises of God. There will be giants that will challenge you to your rights to what God has promised. There will also be giants that try to deny and steal from you the promises of God. A lot of people think, well, when I get to the promised land, everything's going to be easy. No, you get to the promised land and you have to fight. There are not just strong enemies. There are giants that seek to deny you what God has promised you. This Christian life is a battle. But it's the good fight of faith. 
And it's only a good fight if we win. We're not into secondary prizes or a snack after the game. Well, you play. It's all about how you played. That's the advice you tell to losers. To the winners, you don't say, well, it's all about how you played. They're all concentrated on winning. It's the good fight of faith. We have the victory. Say, I have the victory. Look at your neighbor and say, you have the victory. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't let the giant scare you. So go back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. So there are giants in the land. The first generation chickened out. They died in the wilderness. And now Moses in Deuteronomy, which is translated the second giving of the law, is recapping the history to prepare the second generation to go to possess the promised land, which their parents decided not to get. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. Moses says, Then we turn and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, You have compassed this mountain long enough, turn you northward, and command thou the people, saying, You are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore, meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. Say, Esau. You shall buy meat of them for money that you may eat, and you may also buy water of them for money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hand. He knows I walk in through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Wait a minute. Wait. They're in the wilderness, yet they got money. It doesn't matter where you are. God can still get you money. Another message. And when we pass by from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, say Esau, through the way of the plain of Elath and through Ezon Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Say Moab. And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you of their land for a possession, because I have given our unto the children of Lot. Say Lot. For a possession. The Emons dwelt there in times past, a people great, many and tall, as the Anakims, which were also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them Emons. The Horams also dwelt in Seir before time, but the children of Esau, say Esau, succeeded them when they had destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their stead, as Israel did unto the land of his possession, which the Lord gave unto them. Now rise up, said I, and get you over the brook Zered. And we went over the brook Zered, and the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was thirty and eight years. Until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, as the Lord swore unto them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the host until they were consumed. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people, that the Lord spake unto me, saying, You are to pass over through Ar, the coast of Moab this day. And when he come nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not. Say, Ammon. Nor meddle with them, for I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot. Say, Lot. For possession. That was also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt there in an old time, and the Ammonites called them Zazumims, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead, as he did to the children of Esau, say Esau, which dwelt in Seir, which he destroyed the horns from before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead even unto this day. So you're like, Pastor, what's that important of that long passage? First, who's Esau? 
Jacob's brother. Jacob's name changed to Israel. So the children of Esau possessed their land and drove out stronger people from their place. Then you have the Ammonites and the Moabites, which are the children of Lot. Who's Lot? Abraham's nephew. When you go back to read Genesis, you see that Lot was blessed because he was with Abraham. Esau was blessed because he was a seed of Abraham. So what does that mean? God fully expected the seed of Abraham. God fully expected blessed people to take on giants and win. So Moses is recapping this. He says, if Esau did it, if the Moabites did it, if the Ammonites did it, you can do it. And these weren't great people, strong people, or people who actually did everything God wanted them to do. But they had a promise. God gave them something, and they took it. And so Moses is recapping, Esau did it, Moab did it, Ammon did it, you can do it. He said, well, how does that apply to me? What does Galatians 3 tell us? Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Esau did it. Moab did it. Ammon did it. Israel did it. You're supposed to do it. If they could do it under an old covenant based on a promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what can't you do today when you've been washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you got the whole Bible in your hands? You're supposed to take on giants, and you're supposed to win. Don't expect God to lead you to easy battles. God will lead you to things you can't win, you can't beat. That means you can't take the credit. Because when you win, you have to give all glory, honor, and praise, and fame to Jesus. So don't think, well, it's too hard in front of me. This is too much. I don't know what to do. You know what you're going to do. You are going to win. You have the victory. You are meant and born again to take on giants. You are meant to take on things that are too strong for you. You are meant to take on things that are too mighty for you. You are meant to take on things that are too powerful for you. You are meant to handle business because you are the seed of Abraham. And God expects you to do it. If Esau did it, if Ammon did it, if Moab did it, if the Israelites did it, you can do it. Say, I can do it. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Gives more context in possessing the promised land. We understand there is resistance on the promised land. It's not little resistance, it's big resistance. And then one thing, it was one giant. It's several giants. So now you know another reason why Joshua could be nervous. You want me to leave these people into a land, fight multiple armies that are bigger than us, and take on armies of giants. One giant is a lot, but think about an army of giants. When you study the Bible, there's a man in David's day that is seven and a half feet tall. He's called like a lion-like man, but he's not called a giant. 
All the giants were eight feet and taller. Huge dudes, warriors, successful in battle. Imagine an army of them. And God says, Joshua, time to go to work. Joshua chapter 1, verse 4. God reminds him from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea toward the going down, the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That means giants too. Not just people, oh, I can beat them because I'm stronger. Even situations that are too big for you, they can't stand before you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people you shall divide for inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper whithersoever you goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate. So you keep the word in your mouth and you meditate, which means to mutter, to say again and again there in day and night. Because you learn you're not supposed to run at giants with your mouth shut. That you may as observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and be of good courage. Be not afraid. Joshua, don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of giants. Don't be afraid of the resistance. Neither be thou dismayed. Don't be panic and have a panic attack based on fear, as that word means. For the Lord your God is with you whithersoever you go. Remember, God said, the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. So, well, did Moses ever face giants? Yes. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. So when Moses faced a giant, what happened? Remember, we said Moses... Defeating Og was important. Why is that important to Joshua and us today? Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. Moses is recapping still. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Now, you got to think, so he's the only giant left in that particular area of Bashan. Now, people say, oh, he's the last one. He's also the strongest one. The rest of them died in battle. The rest of them lost. He survived for decades. And not only that, he's king. So that means there's no one else stronger in his land than him. He is the giant king. What does it say next? His bed was 13 feet tall. So this giant king was nearly 13 feet tall, probably a little bit shorter so he can fit in his bed. Talks about how wide it was. This is a giant that Moses has to face. So what happened? What did the Bible say? Maybe it was a big battle. What did the Bible say when Moses took on the giant? Go to Numbers chapter 21. What happened when Moses took on the giant? See, while studying this last night going through it, I was imagining the battle scene. That would be an epic movie. You know, we always leave Moses part in the Red Sea, going up to the mountain. We've never seen Moses go to war and face giants. Numbers chapter 21, verse 33. 
Numbers chapter 21, verse 33. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And all of the king of Bashan went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. And the Lord said unto Moses, fear him not. Don't be afraid of that giant king. For I have delivered him into your hand and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him like you did unto Sion, king of the Amorites, which was a Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there's none left him alive and they possessed his land. And then it goes on. Short little scripture summary of what happened. He didn't even get as much playtime as Goliath. And the Bible says, yep, he fell down. Moses took him. Here's what happened in the next chapter. And when you read the Psalms, they still sing about how God took down Sihon and Og. So he's remembered more throughout the Bible as someone who got defeated. He told Moses, don't be afraid. Now Moses at this time is 119, 120. And God says, go to work. Take on the giant king, don't be afraid. And so when you read it, it doesn't say that Moses' army took down Og. It keeps saying that Moses did it. The prophet who parted the Red Sea, the prophet who called in Krispy Kreme donuts to fall from heaven every day, the prophet who prayed and fried chicken flew in, the prophet with an anger problem, took on the giant and won at age 120. And God told Joshua, the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Don't be afraid of the giants because I'm with you. What did Jesus tell us? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you until the end of the age. The same way like he was with Moses and Joshua, he's with us but except one better. Because he didn't live inside Moses and Joshua, but he lives inside us. Moses took on giants. Joshua took on giants. Israel took on giants. David took on giants. Esau took on giants. Moab took on giants. Ammonites took on giants. You can take them on too. God has called you to do the same. Now go to 1 John chapter 5. Let's connect the dots a little bit more. 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 1. First John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Is anyone born of God in here? And everyone that loves him that begat loves him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous, for whatsoever is born of God, you said you're born of God, right? Overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The message says, verse 4, this way. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to his knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when you look at the phrase, the world, it's not talking about the earth on which we stand. When you look at that word in the Greek, it's talking about the world and its systems, how the world operates. 
all the systems that are in the world. You see, Satan is propped up over this world system that is prophetically called Babylon. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the God of this world's system, the prince and the power of the air. So I described these systems and broken down to seven mountains or spears of influence in this world system. The mountain or the spear of business, the mountain of government, the mountain of arts and entertainment, the mountain of media, the mountain of family, the mountain of religion, and the mountain of education. This is how you can break down the systems of the world. Satan has propped up his forces to back this system to keep believers down, to enslave mankind, and force his will. There are systems of the world that are operating today. Satan is king over them. And in each system, each mountain, each spear, he has set demons and principalities and wicked rulers in high places to enforce his will on those systems. But 1 John 5 says, we have the victory. Say, I have the victory. So how do you win? It says very simply, our faith. Our faith enforces the victory given to us by Jesus. Our faith overrides and supersedes all the forces of this world system. We know from the, Paul's writings that our faith is fueled by our belief in God's love for us. It is fueled by love that's working in us. So based on how much you believe God loves you, and how much you walk in love determines how efficient your faith is, which will determine how many of the world systems do you engage in battle in and win. Because you have the victory, but it doesn't mean you're going to win. If you don't use your faith, you'll be just like everyone else. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I got faith. But I'm not asking you today, do you have faith for you, faith for your family, faith for your four and no more? But do you have faith to take a mountain? Do you have faith to take a mountain? Go to Joshua 14. Joshua 14. Do you have faith to take a mountain? Because whatever job or career you have, it's intertwined in one of those mountains. You're working in one of those mountains. You're working in one of those spears. And on those mountains, in those spears, are giants. Systems designed by the enemy and wicked men who have yielded to him that you face every single day because our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's against demons as it describes in Ephesians 6 propped up in this system to keep you back, to hold you down, to make you not experience the victory your faith has. Joshua 14, verse 12. What does Caleb say to Joshua? Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Wherever the Lord spake in that day, for you heard in the day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kepta Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. It was one of their famous cities. Because Arba 
was the father of Anak, who they called all the giants. And so they named the city after him. It's a city that's respected by the giants that's in this mountain. So Caleb says, give me this mountain. I want it for my inheritance. Not only is he doing battle on a mountain, how do you understand that fighting up the hill is a lot harder? So on that mountain is four or five cities. And inside those four or five cities are giants. These are the giants that made the other ten spies afraid. Caleb said, I want to take them on. I want that mountain. I want those cities. I want those giants. He says, I'm going to drive them out. What does that mean? The giants are going to run and start terror from Caleb. And when you read chapter 14, Caleb is 85. And he says, but I feel like I did that when I was 45. So I got some work to do. Joshua is still battling. Joshua didn't go home until he was 110. They're like, we got work to do. So stop saying I'm too old. You got work to do. Do you have faith to take a mountain? Do you have faith like Caleb? See, the mountains to which you are assigned are full of devils and wicked men, full of giants and impossibilities. But no matter, faith is the victory that overcomes everything the world has. In order to make Jesus famous, you have to conquer in the mountains and the places God has called you to be. Not just conquer anywhere you seem that seems easy. You have to conquer in the place God puts you. Where God puts you, you have to be planted and you have to be faithful. Not just going, well, I feel like going over here today. I feel like going over here today. No, you are the army of God. You have orders. Be faithful where God puts you. Now, I was like, Pastor, what type of giants do we have today? Let's talk about systematic racism. See, y'all got quiet on that one. Y'all don't expect faith people to talk about things like that. Systems designed by devils and wicked men who yield to the devil for the purpose of keeping believers down and enslaving mankind. Does that seem like it backs up to that definition? Do you have faith to take on a mountain? See, if you hang around here for the next four weeks, you're going to have faith to take on systematic racism. See, where you won't be complaining, oh, they don't like me because I'm black. They don't like me because I'm Hispanic. They don't like me because I'm an immigrant. It doesn't matter what you is, you got faith, so you win. Because you said, well, the system's holding me down. Well, get out the system. It says our faith brings the system to its knees. Get out the system. Get in your faith and make that system bow down before you. You may be in a career and there's gender bias in your field. Ladies, they don't want to pay you what your work is worth. You can either stay in that system and be frustrated and irritated, or you can use your faith and get what belongs to you. You could be working somewhere and they don't like you because you're too old or you're too young and they're trying to deny you things because of your age and they have age bias. It doesn't matter your age, it just matters do you have faith. If David as a teenager could take down a giant, if Caleb as an 85-year-old man could take down a giant, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, you can take on giants. Don't fall prey to the narrative of the media and social media. You are more than conquerors. Well, did you see what happened on the news? Yes, what are you going to do about it? But did you see? Yes, I saw it. My question still remains the same. What are you going to do about it? 
You can complain about it all day long. You can talk about it all day long. You can tweet about it all day long. But until you activate your faith, it's never going to change. You have to engage it and not be afraid of it. Your faith will give you the victory. That's why the just shall live by faith, not by what the system gives them. Faith makes you more than a conqueror. Faith gives you the victory. He said, well, they don't like me. And? They didn't like Daniel, except, and he was in charge. They tried to kill him, still didn't work. You got to work your faith. Because the question is not always, do you have faith? The question is, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Is your faith in the American economy, the American government? Is your faith in that Americans can finally give you your just share? Or is your faith in God? You got to stop relying on the world systems to get you what you need. God is still God, no matter what man does. And no matter what system or mountain you are working in, faith will give you the victory and take down giants. But you have to do it God's way. Because whatever you bow down to on the way up the mountain will rule you when you get to the top. And whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. So let's look at the root of some of these giants. Go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. Sometimes when you read through scriptures, especially the Old Testament, Genesis, and some of the begats, you just read this and go, all right, I did my chapter of the day, meant nothing to me, but let me keep going. But Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 is very interesting. Why? And it says, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, or Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. But that word upon is also translated by. So it's not just the calling on God in prayer. They're identifying themselves as followers of God. Why is that important? Go to Genesis chapter 6. Verse 1. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they looked good. And they took them wives of all which they chose. We read through that and we think, he's talking about angels. Wait a minute, we just saw in chapter 4. How many know chapter 4 comes before chapter 6? That's your question. That people began to identify themselves by following God. So who are the sons of God? This is the line of Seth that are following God. Who are the sons of men? The line of Cain that's doing whatever they want to do. So those who are following God see those who aren't, and they start to marry them. As we said last week, they're marrying into the sunken place. 
than making covenants with people they should not have covenants with. So what is this? It goes on and says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth. Same word Nephilim as we looked at earlier in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. When you look at these phrases, mighty men and men of renown, it's not talking about heroes. This word giant is also translated tyrant. We would call them terrorists today. So from the people that follow God, God involved with the people who didn't follow God, what is that? Compromise. So what is Genesis describing? An age of great compromise where the people of God lower their standards because of what they felt like doing. And what was the result? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. As we said, whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. Compromising will make you pray for giants. If you want to take on giants, if you want to win, you got to do it God's way. Because you step out the will of God and try to battle a giant, you will lose. See, after the children of Israel in the first generation, after God said, you're not going to get it because of your unbelief. You're going to die in the wilderness. They said, oops, we made a mistake. Let's try to take the land now. Moses, don't do it. When will you listen? Stop being hard-headed. But they went to battle anyways. And you know what happened? They lost severely. Why? They weren't doing things God's way. If you compromise, you're not going to win. If you compromise, you will become prey to the giants. Or you may become a giant yourself. That God has to assign someone to take you down. Don't become the enemy because you're sleeping with the enemy. Genesis chapter 2 talks about Adam and Eve before she was known as Eve. They're both known as male and female Adam. But when we look at the Hebrew at the end of chapter 2, it says, I'll call her woman, Isha, because she came out of man, Ish. Now, it's very close. And so when you look at the Hebrew, the word Esh is fire. But what Ish has a Hebrew word Yad in front of it. Isha is Ish with a hay in front of it, attached to it. The name of God in the Old Testament, no one knows how to say. They only know the initials, yud Hey, vav Hey. So the man God created is fire plus him. The woman God created is fire plus him. But if you get into a relationship that doesn't have God, you're playing with fire. And you will get burned. You will marry into the sunken place. You will become the person you always didn't want to be because you compromised. You have to stand strong. You have to be holy and live God's way in 2018, even if it's unpopular. What is also living holy? Walking in love. You have to forgive everybody of everything. You can't defeat giants if you're full of offense. You know what's the saying? Hurting people hurt people. And if you're always offended and hurting, you are hurting people and you've become a giant yourself. And people are praying for you to be removed. But you come to church. You got the word. But you're living however you want to live.
The time for compromise is far past over. Choose this day who you will serve. You have some decisions to make. God has been on this case for us for about three weeks now. We talk about heaven on earth, submitting fully to the will of God. Giving God a full yes. We talked about that last week. Now we're talking about compromise. What is it? It's another manifestation of the Holy Ghost and fire because the word of God is fire. What is he trying to do? Burn out your compromise. Burn out the middle road. Stop being holy on Sunday morning for the less than two hours I have you here. And live it however you want the rest of the week. Live like Jesus. If you want to experience the fullness, the overflow, and the glory, you need to live like Jesus. Even in the age of grace. Because you have a responsibility to grace. Grace has promised everything, but you must possess the promises. And if you let them, God will use you to take on things that you can't handle by yourself. That means you can't be afraid of giants. You can't be afraid of the things that are in front of you. I was reading through Philippians in either chapter 1 or chapter 2. Paul tells them, don't be afraid of your adversaries. Because you, choosing not to be afraid, is going to be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. But if you're afraid of them, they have no reason to think judgment's coming. But if you can look at them and not back down, they know someone's behind you. When God talked to the children of Israel, he said, I didn't pick you because you were holy or because you were strong or you're special. I picked you because I loved you and made Abraham a promise. God loved you. He made you a promise. But will you possess the promised land today? Will you get what God has, has for you? Will you become the person that can possess the promises? Or you can just let the year go by going, well, the year goes by. Well, I wish what they said on New Year's happened for me. Maybe this thing doesn't work. No, it works. You just didn't work it. Will you hold on to it the entire year? Or will you forget what God said by Easter? Will you work this thing until you get everything God has for you? To possess the promised land is not up to God. To defeat giants is not up to God. Anybody who has a covenant with God can take on a giant. David was a teenager. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this Philistine that didn't have a covenant? See, well, where do the Philistine giants come from? When you read Joshua, you see Caleb and the others were successful. They drove the giants out of all these areas. But they settled in Gaza, the Philistine territory. Today we'd call it the West Bank. See, when you don't handle everything... It gives an open door for that place to get you later. You can't be afraid of confrontation. And I'm not talking about you just addressing people. I'm talking about you addressing yourself. Because, see, we judge ourselves differently than we judge other people. We give ourselves passes all day long. Well, God knows my heart. God really knows. Oh, thank you for mercy. Oh, 1 John 1, 9. And you refuse to address the areas that are taking you down. And you can't have the fullness of the victory if you don't deal with that area. Confront yourself. Let God deal with you. Stop being afraid to ask this question. God, where am I missing it? Then listen. Don't just say, God, where is it? And then just keep on going. Get the answer and then fix it. If you want to be more than a conqueror, if you want to take on giants, you have to let the fire of God minister to you. 
Sometimes it's the moves of the Holy Ghost in an experience like this. Other times it's the Word of God checking you. Word preach. You don't like it. Yeah, man, wow, that's good for you. You know? Most kids don't like broccoli. But as I heard, it was good for them. As I heard. So just because you don't like a message or something the Bible tells you doesn't mean it's not for today. It just means you have some growing to do. You have to get stronger. See, one of the things we're doing, starting on February 26th, we're going to do a 21 days of temple improvement. What's that? We're going to get healthier. You have to be strong. Because the thing is, you can take on giants all day long. But if you bow down to the giant of fried chicken, you know, that, that doesn't just work right. The pork chop and the shrimp take you down every time. Some of you is like, oh, no, but I can tell fried chicken now. It's that sugar that got you. It's not the healthy sugar, all that white sugar you add to stuff. You know, I used to be the person that like some coffee with his sugar. See, I could, the coffee cup I made, it was awesome. It would change your life literally. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, and so when I worked in Texas, people who were really exhausted that day, they would say, hey, Kara, can you make me a cup of coffee like you make it? If you're ready for it. I remember one guy, he was our head of security, over six feet, was tired. I made him a cup of coffee. Ten seconds later, woo! <laughs> Is this how you feel all the time? He got really loud. <laughs> I was like, yes, welcome to my world. <laughs> we had another minister who was exhausted. said, hey, can you make me a cup of coffee? I'm going to teach a class. The students told me later, said, she was so hyper. She started talking so fast. <laughs> that I talked to her daughter later. said, yeah, she went home and just fell over the couch. <laughs> and so I get it. We all like sugar. We're Americans. <laughs> but you got to tell that no. You got to limit that. You have to have self-control. People think self-control is just not about having sex with everybody. Self-control is also about what you, food put, you put in your mouth. Because some people are sick and have disease in their body, not because of the enemy, because of what they eat. And you're trying to be more than a conqueror, yet you're killing yourself with every bite. So that's why we're doing a temple improvement challenge. What is it, 21 days? We're drinking water every day. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor, just cussed. <laughs> you need to drink water. At least a gallon. Some studies say you should drink half your weight in ounces of water a day. I know this is the city of Atlanta and we love Coca-Cola. But you need to drink some water. We wrote a 21-day devotional about divine health for you to read every day to strengthen your faith in that area. You also should exercise. Yeah. Outside of just January. Preach. So we're going to talk about that. You get all the information in your email. Then I have a special challenge for the men. Woo. I heard two. The rest of them looked at me very nervous. Fellas, I think you can handle it. Can you handle it? Yes. Why? Right, we're going to be healthy. Oh, also part of this challenge, y'all need to go to the doctor. Yes. 
So you got quiet now. So, well, the doctor may tell me something I don't want to hear. And? At least you know what you need to do. Stop being afraid of the doctor. We have a spiritual side to handle, but we also have a natural side to handle. Because if we do our part, spiritually and naturally, God can use us to do great things. I remember, I'll close here, a number of years ago, my wife and I were invited to as be like young ministers who are leaders of tomorrow. And so there was a group of us, and we sat down with Brother Copeland. It was just, we were either in our late teens or early 20s, and for two hours, he just poured into us. And as everything that man of God could have said in his 50 years of ministry experience, he talked to us about what we ate for at least an hour. Y'all think I get on to y'all. It was at least an hour about what we eat. And then he said that to us. He says, the decision to live 120 doesn't start when you're old. It starts with when you're a teenager. Y'all are a little behind. Y'all need to catch up. Because he says, God needs 90-year-old anointings in this earth. He needs 100-year-old anointings, 110-year-old anointings, 120-year-old anointings. People who have walked with God learn how to use their faith and know how to move in the spirit. God needs you on this earth. He doesn't want you to go home early. Yes, you have a choice to go home. Yes, things may happen. You may not understand people go home early. But God wants you to live long, and God wants you to live strong. God wants you to possess the promised land. He wants you to take on giants. You just have to give him your yes. So you just have to give him your yes. And someone say yes. Stand to your feet. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.